0: Hello everyone. This is Mark with Speak Brave podcast. I love this podcast and I love doing this because this is part of journey. This is part of growing and I love to connect with people. And specifically I have my friend here John. John, say hello. Hello. Okay. Well,
1: I mean, maybe you can say more than one word. Oh, yes, I can. (laughs) Okay. You're probably wondering what's going on here because, as I recall, when you and I were looking at the podcast schedule and we were planning the dates and everything, this particular podcast you had not yet established what you wanted to speak on. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, it would be a shame to take about a 30 to 35-minute block that we set aside for you and not put it to good use. But in doing so, I decided I might put you on the spot
0: just a little bit. Well, this is what friends do. Friends push each other to be the best. And also friends create an environment where their other friends can grow. So, John, thanks. You're thanks for being my friend and thanks everyone out there who's listening. I really do love coming here every week and just uh, exploring, um, having the having the courage to speak up, understand, ask questions, sometimes just listen, but having always a great time and I'm fueled by learning. This is the thing uh, for me. I, I want to learn. I want to learn as much as I can and I want to have categories for learning, but also learn not just for the learning, but also Learn so I can create, create, and contribute. That's the ultimate goal.
1: Before I start with some of the foundational questions that I yes. want to ask, there is something that I do want to ask you. And I've been meaning to ask you this question for quite some time. Oh, oh wow. Well, because, you know,
0: it, this, is, this is very dangerous. This is very dangerous because this, thank you. I appreciate your uh, earnestness uh-huh. and your desire to uh, interview me, John. Thank you for that. But this, I want to have a disclaimer told the listeners. Friends, this is unrehearsed podcast. I have no idea what kind of questions John's going to ask me. It's true. So this is. I have a little bit of trepidation and a little bit of anxiety because I don't know where this is going to well, go. There's no script here, open. no outline or I'm anything. Open. So this... this is one of those rare occasions where I don't have a full understanding. But I'm open. I'm here. Let's okay.
1: go. Well, ladies and gentlemen, consider yourself to be seated in the living room with John and with Mark. And we're all having a conversation. Unfortunately, you're not in a position to be able to, in real time, ask him a question or do this by live feed. But I'm going to try to think of some of the things that you might ask. And understand, I won't be able to touch on everything. But I'm going to try to go some high points. But one question let's, I've got to get out of the way let's first. Let's do it. Let's all do right. it. How many books do you read a week?
0: Okay. Lately... I have not been reading as much as compared to the height of my reading. Normally I read about one or two books a week about there were times in my life when I was in a transition period when I left the business or left a relationship or a marriage and I was trying to understand what mm-hmm. I could do better. And in those times, I actually was reading three or four b- books a week. And not only reading them, but actually taking notes. And one of the things that I have come up is that this was an internal dialogue. Mark, what is seven words or ten words I can use to summarize a book? And that was that was the goal for me. Okay, so I read a book, maybe 200 pages or 150 pages or 100 pages. And then on a little piece of paper, I write in seven words what I have learned from it. And that's it was like a little game. You know, I like to play games. So that's what it was for me. So how many do I read now? Yeah. Probably one every two weeks and maybe one every three weeks because my schedule does not allow me to sit down and just read the book and go deep into it. One of my dear friends actually said, Mark, it, it is not the amount of books that you read. It is the amount of time you take to reflect on the books that you have read. That's a good point. Because you have, I think you have to go deeper, have to go deeper into the concept. And one of the actual books that I read yesterday, <laughs> now this, they asked me, is by Austin Clown. I think he is an author who lives in Austin, Texas. His first name is Austin and well, he, he lives, lives in Austin. Austin. I just think the irony of that is beyond me. Right. And the name of the book is, is called Still Like an Artist. Steal Like an Artist. Is it like steel as the metal, or is it still as in pilfer? Pilfer. Okay. S-T-E-A-L. It's a book steel. about steel like an author. Excuse me, steel like an artist. And he said, it's a short book, has a lot of illustrations, a lot of quotes, a lot of one-liners. And the author impresses upon the readers, go deeper than anyone else. So it is not the amount of books that you read. It is the amount of time you take to reflect to reminisce to meditate and ask questions and that's the that's the shift in gears for me john because i before i was let's read as much as i can let's mm-hmm. learn as much as i can but now i realize there's a select books so i can reread remedi re and then meet meditate on it mm-hmm. and then go deeper because i'm not satisfied with there's just a surface what i also have done before is that sometimes I, this is kind of unusual uh, John but I read sometimes some books from the back. So that's an
1: interesting approach. Well yes you know. I mean I've heard of reading the back of the book to see the finale but
0: well it's non-fiction books let's say like, um, marketing books or a business book right. so sometimes when I feel really ambitious, I actually read from the last chapter. I read the last chapter if I like it, I go chapter before and then chapter again and if I really like the book I will reread it from the start but I'll do speed reading. And one of the things I have learned um, when I started on the reading journey is that how to do speed reading, how to do fast reading. So one of the things that you that I have learned in one of the tools, a lot of authors there's a different skills in authors. When I read a book John, I have a conversation with an author. Do you feel that? You I have feel- never done that. I've never thought of it in that perspective. Okay. It is one kind of, it's it is a little bit one-sided. Mm-hmm. Yes, but You can turn on your imagination and just think, you know what? It's a great idea. This is a mentor that have lived 2,000 years ago, maybe 1,000 years ago, maybe 100 years ago. Kind of a nice
1: thought having a conversation with somebody from that far back. So
0: you you, you open a book, and because their voice is transparent in the way they put punctuation marks and the way they use the words and the way they have the ideas, the ideas that they have compressed, maybe they've been thinking about it for the last 20 years, and now it is for you. This is one thought. It is a conversation. Jay-Z, you know the Jay-Z the mm-hmm. producer, yeah. musical producer one of his very famous quotes that he have mentioned is that he was talking about growing up on the streets we didn't have fathers so where do we find fathers and mentors in books in men in, in other people who already produced the work So every time I read the book John, I have a conversation with the author.
1: That's a great idea. And I hope it's a dialogue. I hope, it's people, a dialogue. I hope people write that down because that's a great tip you can give to people, particularly to enhance and encourage them to begin to discover the beauty of reading. Exactly. One one of the authors actually have affected me deeply is Donald Miller.
0: And I Yeah, I've mean, heard you talk of Donald Miller yes, before. He's a businessman, he lives in Tennessee and he has a business called Story Brand. I recommend it. Mm-hmm. It's you know, he's growing. And he mentioned he wrote a few books and In his style, (laughs) when he wrote a few books, he actually talked about reading books in his writing. And some of the books that he was uh, reading, he didn't like the author, or didn't like the voice. So he took the book and threw it across the room because he was so frustrated with the author. Of course, I would never treat any books like that. I wouldn't throw it across the room. I would just gently put it down on the corner of the table and just push it away. But he was a little bit extreme. And he told me about having a conversation with the author. And that's where I got the idea. That's great idea, you have a dialogue. Furthermore, a lot of authors, depending on their skill, they repeat the same idea throughout the book. So you can actually, knowing that, if it doesn't have a lot of empirical research, and it doesn't have a lot of um, study, a lot of statistics, you can kind of speed read. And one of the things that I have learned is I look at the table of contents. I look at the pa- I look. what are they talking about. Which what is the name of which chapter? Then I quickly look at the quotes, and I and I just do like, I list through the book. I quickly glance what it is. I look at the key points, and then I turn off my engine, the engine of reading. And then, if I really like the book, I start. I savor it from chapter one, and that is real pleasure for me, because time is a limited resource. So in order for me to invest time in reading books, it is so precious. I invest my time, my energy, and my full attention to reading the book. And and over the time, I have picked up that you read a chapter, and I don't want to just go to the next chapter. I put the book away, and I do something else. And then I think about it. Okay, why did this author brought this forward? What was the story that was so relevant? And if, and then if it pushes me further, I actually look at the index and I go back to the bibliography and resources that the author have used to create this chapter. Mm-hmm. So I go for very sources. deep. Yeah, I actually I read the books that the author have read, and that's and I go to the research that they have. So for me, book, I take book readings very seriously. It's not just reading the book. It's actually having this engagement, this dance with the author, understanding w- what did the author think about. What did she think about? What did she want to produce? What is the kind of gift that he's trying to share with the world? And I always look at the sources. Because the sources will give you the real evidence what have inspired. Because it's author's interpretation of the sources. And when you look at the sources, you can make your own judgment. So there's a lot of tools that I have used in reading. And I take it very seriously. This is one of my... Uh, serious 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 issues yes wow i know
1: from experience and from working with you and having been associated with you by the way for the benefit of those of you that don't know it was in february i think of 2015 that dr diane longstreet myself and you we met together for the first time and we talked about going from what is referred to as free to fee when it Deals with the business of professional speaking. And for those of you out there that have an interest in becoming a public speaker, don't forget that Toastmasters is the premier worldwide educational organization. For that, Mark, Diane, and myself are all active Toastmasters and have been for a varying number of years. I'm going to come back to that point with you in a minute. But the other thing also is that you need to begin to realize that when you bring together like minds in purpose and goal, we may be different in terms of what we talk about and our, as we call it, our niche, our focal point. The thing that we have in common with one another is that we want to see each other succeed. And so when I got together with Mark, I knew Mark to a degree, but I didn't know Mark as well as I have learned to know him, as you and I have worked together along with Diane for now. So it's amazing. Amazing to work with you, John. We're going on two years together. By February, it will be two years that we have had this alliance, this mastermind, this brainstorming, this team. And it has been a joy to go on this route. But I wanted folks to know that Mark of course, has certain skills already in place that, as far as I'm concerned, I call them God-given skills because there are things that we have as talents that are there, and the key to any talent is realizing it or somebody noticing it and telling you you need to use it, and then finding the mechanism to grow that talent and help it to become an asset. Yes. An asset to yourself and an asset to the people that you give it to. your community, of course. Now, you had sales experience. Yes. And I know that you also had some ministry experience. That is true. And because of that, that did put you in situations where you had to really work on communication with people. Oh, exactly. Because this is, whether it would be an individual one-on-one situation or whether it was a collective group, Mm -hmm. It was important to get your message across, and of course, I can remember in the early years of speaking when I had a difficult time understanding that simplicity Uh is a very valuable asset in communication. Simplicity also having a succinct message
0: that that is rich with meaning and has, I also want to highlight precision in communication. Yeah. I like that phrase. Precision in communication allows you to be clear. One of the authors that I really admire and enjoy is Patrick Lencioni. He have wrote a book, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, and a few others, and also The Advantage. One of his chapters, he says, clarity, clarity, clarity. Mm-hmm. Over communicate clarity because as a leader, as someone with a nonprofit in the business world, you have to be clear. And clarity does not come easily to a lot of people. That's why you have to work on it. And did you want to talk about the what uh, I want about the um, what I want to do is I want to pull out the mm-hmm. fact that the church experience the, well, the, the, church- well, the 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 community experience i mean the, that's actually was a, one of the pivotal points for me as well john
1: well with the church experience you're talking about speaking in a collective situation because you're not just talking i mean you ministry, still had, ministry you had yeah. you had communication with individuals but you also had to speak to a group of individuals particularly when you're talking about ministry
0: oh yes and a so nonprofit environment I wouldn't
1: call yeah. it preaching per se but it was certainly there's a word we use in my church mm-hmm. we call it exhortation mm-hmm. and it simply exhorts people to strive for higher degrees of service and commitment and faith and ministry in their lives
0: well this is actually wonderful question john and i have meditated on the things that i have learned it was an opportunity for me to come to a faith-based organization mm-hmm. and it was amazing it was amazing because i was on a journey to discover who i was and how i can contribute to the community and what after a few months of attendance i was actually elected as the youth pastor youth leader At the same time of the election, there was another gentleman who was also elected. So we were co-leaders. And his name was also Mark. So we had Mark squared. I hope someone can appreciate the irony in this. I can appreciate that. (laughs) Due to the circumstances, the other Mark have left. And I was the one who was left to handle weekly meetings for youth and organizing the activities and bringing the message now i'm the kind of person who doesn't just take anything lightly it is all nothing everything and i have quickly encountered that when you have a collection of people who have been in a world of spirituality in their entire lives and then someone like me comes in who have been awakened but has not nearly experienced that the others people have. I have encountered resistance, uh-huh. resistance that was very unusual for me, because it, it it appeared that number one I was young young man, and uh, how can I share and teach others about the journey that I have been since birth? That was. A resistance that I never seen in my life, and I felt it. I felt it on a subconscious level. I felt it on a conscious level. I felt it in the actions expressed towards me. So I started asking myself questions. What can I do? I have learned. I have went to the seminars. I have signed up for conferences. I had mentors, and I started reading leadership books by John Maxwell, who had experience in ministry and in business and in nonprofits. The things that I have seen, I saw breakdown in communication. And I also have discovered about my identity as a man. Number one, as a leader. As a leader, one of my very first mistakes is I was trying to do everything (laughs) all at once. And that is not the right choice. Because when you try to do everything by yourself, you become disenchanted. You become burnt out. And that's what happened to me. And that's a mistake that I will never never repeat in my life. I hope I'll never repeat it. Mm -hmm. But that was one of the leadership mistakes that I've made. Second thing that I did is that I was... Some of the comments that I have um, seen and some of the behaviors that that I've seen in that nonprofit ministry environment. For example, I was not invited to become part of this committee, or I was not invited to this event, or the, to this gathering, and I took it personally, and I realized that is a mistake, it is not about me, it is not about me as man or markets. it's about people coming together, achieving a purpose who have, who know they what they're doing, and when I felt excluded, I felt defensive, that's a mistake, it is not about you, it is not about what you want, it's about your contribution, that put me, that humbled me really well, uh, and the third one is that I was trying to micromanage, micromanage the, yeah. the other, uh, my team members and other people in the uh, youth ministry, and that that re- that also have humbled me as well. So, mm-hmm. to be honest with you, John, I made as many mistakes as I made the right decisions. Specifically, I felt excluded. Immediately, I became defensive. In reality, was it? I don't have a, I don't have a privilege or I don't have the right or I don't have it's not about me like I said it it, it is about my contribution to the community and to that organization and those mistakes still fresh in my mind but f- from learning perspective because I will not do them again you understand I do and that's 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 that was a big revelation in leadership as well had
1: you had any by the term formal, I say struck means structured. Did you have any structured speech training prior to moving into the field of, of ministry, working with young people, no. where you were familiar with the objectives of speech craft and the structure of an effective message and all of that? I have never. Well, I
0: other than one semester of public speaking in college and an undergraduate degree. However, none, no exposure. So I was trying to learn the scripture. I was trying to learn the art of people. I was trying to learn the leadership, the speaking all at the same time in a very condensed period of Mm -hmm. life. I think I succeeded, but the price that I paid for it is that realizing your own limitations and realizing that you cannot do Everything by yourself. You cannot micromanage. You cannot be defensive. You cannot assume, but rather give, love, understand, forgive, tolerate, build, invent, create, move forward, and have fun. That was an experience of a lifetime. I see everything as an adventure, John. Mm-hmm. Everything. So, okay. And you bring this as a speech craft. What I have felt, there was some kind of a, There was very undercurrent type experience every time i come out to speak people were listening some people rolled their eyes and i saw Absolutely. it and actually that hurt me because i thought what am i doing wrong what 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 is this am i am not getting through the message am i saying something wrong i would think
1: the same thing
0: i would say I'm, somehow or the other i'm not connecting well now i realize that is just that person and you just have to keep going. Right? And
1: it's not the only person in the room either. Well, maybe,
0: maybe not. But it, you cannot let that stop you. Right. And when you are a neophyte speaker, a lot of things can throw you off. You, every, time, every time you come to a stage, lecture, you, you become vulnerable. You become open. You become defenseless. And when I say defenseless, you people, the audience, they crave to see inside your soul. They want to see your mental process. They want to see how your brain works and you open up and you expose yourself in a way that is not what it is against the self-protection, the self-survival mechanism. So that's a risk. Every time you come to speak, you can speak too much. You can, spe- you can speak too little. Mm. And you, you put yourself in front of everyone for judgment. And people will judge unconsciously, subconsciously in every way that they can and I felt my speeches when I was in the ministry, they, they couldn't stand on their own. Like, for example, sometimes you give a speech for 30 minutes or for an hour or for two minutes. My goal was to reach people, share the gift, what I have learned. Mm-hmm. But also I want to make sure that each message is compartmentalized and can stand on its own. And I have been on that quest ever since. I'm grateful and I'm truly blessed that I was able to be a youth pastor in the situation that i was i learned how to be a better man how to listen better and the leadership lessons are staying with me for the rest of my life and i can share this with others And the communication lessons clarity in communication composure having calmness and making sure that you see the bigger picture it is not about you but it's rather about moving the community forward towards their goals and and that
1: it's a blessing. When did you first learn about Toastmasters, and who or who were the people that were instrumental in introducing you to Toastmasters?
0: It's no surprise, John. I learned about Toastmasters from a book. A book, of course. Um, I read a book about another book <laughs> from another book. Where, obviously, this is one of my main source of information.
1: I read a book by
0: what is it, uh, Mr. Sweeney, of course. I think I mentioned him. With, yes, before. you,
1: as a matter of fact, I, a couple of podcasts, Joe Sweeney. Yeah, Joe, Joe Sweeney. Sweeney. A couple of podcasts ago, we were reviewing Joe Sweeney as part of one of your presentation French. modules. That was amazing.
0: I, I, I really like him. And creativity. That's right, and friendship. Uh, Joe Sweeney, he wrote a book called Networking as a Contact Sport. Mm. Yeah, and, I remember and that's one of and that's one of the books that I was savoring. I actually was reading one chapter a day or a week, mm-hmm. and because I wanted to honor the thoughts that this author have put in the book, and it was it was it was it was an highlight highlight of my day or a week to read that one chapter. So Joe Sweeney, in his book Networking as a Contact Sport, referred to another gentleman called Keith Ferrazzi, mm-hmm. who wrote a book Never Eat Alone and Who's Got Your Back. Keith Ferrazzi is an interesting man, an interesting author. And sometimes I believe a little brush in his writing. The voice is a little bit pushy at times. However, he has gems that were amazing. So Keith Ferrazzi have mentioned Toastmasters in his book, Never Eat Alone. He mentioned that someone who is a very poor speaker can become a superstar. And Toastmasters is the way to go. As soon as I read about Toastmasters, I closed the book, went online, and I have found a local Toastmasters club. Same night, at 9 o'clock in the evening, I left a message for a contact person. 9.30, somebody called me back. And that person, we are friends to this day. Somebody who actually asked me, what do I want and uh, how... How did I learn about Toastmasters? I told them the whole story. And I came on the first day. At the end of the meeting, I stood up. I gave my evaluation of what I felt. And I said, I will join. Now, when the meeting ran to the conclusion, one of the members came up to me and said, Okay, Mark, um, why do you want to join? And uh, how can we help you? One of the first questions that came out of my mouth was, what is my return on investment? ROI. And the other person actually looked startled. I don't think he ever heard that word before using the Toastmaster setting because I was very focused. And my focus was, okay, what is my return on investment? And I think I startled the Toastmaster how to answer it. Now, in hindsight, I realized maybe I shouldn't be so cutting and so... um, so driven, But that's just the way I have approached life at that point in my life. And you know, John, we're not the same people we were six months ago. This is true. And we're not the same people we were nine months ago or a year ago or 10 years ago. We grow, we evolve, hopefully a little bit better versions of ourselves. Yes. And... So for me that's what it was and that's how I learned about toastmaster. I hope that
1: answers your question. how many years now have you been a toastmaster? 4 years. John. 4 years. 4 years, Four years. Right.
0: and that's been amazing years and of course you know I was involved in a contest which took me from little town in central florida to all the way to the world stage in Las Vegas Nevada in 2015 which I was it was a blessing it opened my eyes to a larger platform larger way to communicate with people and there's so much more to learn john you always say about that we're a work in progress yes and i truly believe when you place yourself in a situation that is not comfortable for you or something at the edge of your ability you see things in yourself and you see things in how you can become even better because there's always room for improvement and toastmasters is very safe it's very nurturing but it's just it's a laboratory It's laboratory for you to apply yourself
1: and to grow and become even better. But it prepares you for the
0: next stage in your
1: life. I'm trying here in the summation and conclusion of this interview to talk for a moment to the people that are listening to the podcast because I want to see individuals who have been toying with the idea of learning how to be a better communicator, but they suffer from that very famous fear of public speaking. And I know that there are different so-called statistical measures that say that the fear of public speaking is actually greater than the fear of dying. I'm still shaking my head on that one, but that's okay. I suppose I remember a conversation with a young lady at work who because she was a supervisor when they had the monthly meetings of the supervisors with upper level management each supervisor was required to do a two minute presentation on the performance numbers of their specific unit and what they could do better and what they had done well And they had to give this to the regional vice president and to the VPs of the various divisions. So the the individual standing in front of a high-powered group of people, people literally that hold your job in their hands, so to speak. And she suffered Serious illness. She was so petrified of, of speaking, of speaking, the audience. that she became physically sick in her stomach and would run to the bathroom and throw up. It gave her nausea. Now that's an extreme. Well,
0: not it's not it's not unusual. Do you know that? Okay, let me ask you a question. And thank you for sharing this, by the way. And thank you for keeping it anonymous because we want to protect. We want to protect some people. Right? Mm-hmm. Now, have you? ever seen Steve Jobs give a presentation? Just a couple of times, usually when he's launching a product. Okay, well, he passed away. And, you know, did you know that, would you think, or would you agree that he was one of the most charismatic business leaders and presenters on the planet Earth at the time of his height, at the time of his, the way that when he was pushing and Mm -hmm. releasing the iPhone? Would you agree that he was the most charismatic In his, one of the most curious men in his field. Yes. On the business stage. I would. Now, would you, would you know that when he was first introduced to public arena in speaking and then on the video interviews, do you know that he got physically ill? That he was actually asking for directions for the bathroom before interviews and before speaking? Did you know that? No. Now, Steve Jobs, if he was the man who, who got physically ill, before he went on stage to become what he did, there was a process. He spent many, 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 many weeks and months preparing, fleshing, crafting presentation before he spoke and that took process. If he can do it, we can do it. Now, you may not be a business leader, but you become a better person. Now, everyone experiences stage fright. I have, maybe you have as well. The only way to get better is to do it. Get over that fear. And just do it anyway, and you become better. Because if you don't present, you don't practice, you will never become who you're destined to become. And speaking in the world that we live in will become more and more prominent. Because this is one of the skills that you must have
1: in order to connect with others and to show the world what you can do. You are, of course, known for speak brave, courageous communication, and that sort of thing. So to wrap this up. What would you say at this point to individuals out there who have toyed with the idea of stepping up and beginning to take a risk when it comes to addressing people? What would you say to them right now, just based upon the fact that your niche has to do with speaking brave, courageous communication, using that intellectual property that you possess and that talent that you possess, uncovering it, opening up? taking the risk, and getting started on your journey. I would like
0: for everyone who's listening to live an interesting life, to live a life that is exciting, that is filled with adventure, that is filled with playfulness, that is filled, and hopefully as little regret as possible. I think speaking is one of those things that it's a battle. It's a battle that you have to face with your internal self. And before you face that battle, ask yourself a question. Why do I want to speak? Why do I want to connect with people? That is number one. The second is battle. It's a resistance. It's fear. For me, it's looking fear, straight in the eye, and doing it anyway. Because life is too short to do anything else. And third, just go out there and do it. Because no matter the outcome, no matter if you will get sick, people will laugh at you. You will become more resilient, which you can transfer to other areas of life in your relationships. You will strive to become the best you. So if you want to become a better communicator, just do it. Get out there. Give it your all. You will fall down. You will learn. But it's so worth it. Your life is worth for you to give it your all. And I just want you to have an interesting life. Thank and you. that's what I want Thank you. to share.
1: All right. Appreciate that very, very much. I'll let you conclude.
0: Well, thanks, John. And uh, friends, it's always a pleasure um, be doing this podcast. This is the podcast that is time of deep self-reflection, but also sharing and learning. And I'll see you next time. Thanks, John. You're welcome. See you later, folks.